We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Okay, so it's my turn, and I'm going to pick ask you guys to expand outside of basketball for this. Um, I've mentioned it a lot on the show, my most devastating sports losses. Um, I don't, I mean, I will be devastated if the Mets don't, if the Mets lose in heartbreaking fashion this year, but like I've been more heartbroken by a Mets season ending like in 2006. Uh, your most devastating Knicks and or sports loss that you've ever felt. Angie, do you want to go first? Or are you sure? Can okay. I can go first. Um, to be clear, you're a Yankee fan and Knicks fan. Yeah, do you so follow non, football? No, not really. So okay. not non-Knicks edition. Uh, I think it's an easy one. It was for me, 2001 game yep. seven. So I got to take you back. I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. Literally from the moment I started rooting for the Yankees or generally like had an awareness of sports, all the Yankees did was win. Mm -hmm. I had no concept of losing. I didn't know our team could lose. It didn't make sense to me that one we could lose. And then like the inevitable happens in the ninth inning where Soriano hits the home run and they're up and it's like, okay, here comes Mo and we, we do this again. And it was more than the fact that Rivera, who's so automatic, blows it. As a nine-year-old kid who had never experienced losing, 
it was like, it was like my whole world shattered. It's like, this is not something that can possibly happen. It's like, it's like when you experience your first loss in life, like when somebody, when you lose somebody for the first Mm -hmm. time, it's like, you didn't think this could happen to me. And it happens. Well, this was like, obviously (laughs) much less serious way, but, but as a kid, it felt, it felt like my world totally shattered. I cried in my bed. I, I will never forget that moment. The first Yankee loss that I really experienced. Um, so that would, that would be it for me. No brainer. So you were nine crying in your bed? Oh, yeah. So me being 18 and doing the exact same thing in 06 <laughs> says what about me? It's uh, a lot about the Mets, not about yeah, you. Yeah, it's more about the Mets. <laughs> this never used to losing thing you're talking about. I have no concept yeah. of that. Jeremy, uh, I don't know if you've actually said yours, but I, I think I have an idea knowing your sensibilities, what yours is. I don't know if you do. Well, it's not 04. Oh, four sucked, but you have to understand that I got to go to game one of the ALCS. Mm-hmm. And that was such, I went with my dad and that was such an awesome experience wow. where Mariano Rivera was obviously coming back from his family, uh, passing away. And we didn't, I mean, this was before cell phones the way we have them now. And no one knew if he was going to show up. And it's the ninth inning. I think it was like a 10-7 game or something. And you just hear Enter Sandman and they're just chills throughout your entire body because oh my god he came back he's here gets the save i mean it crushed me to see them lose four in a row because how could it not and game one a uh, game seven as benji's talking about was pretty impactful but the difference thing was i was i was like a little over six at the time so i wasn't yeah probably watching it live because mm. it was late and i was six years old um you know like honestly the what was it? The 2019. This isn't my answer, but the 2019 Yankees. What was it when Chapman? Oh, yeah. The, the like, Altuve. That didn't okay. even, I just, that didn't even surprise me. I just knew it was going to happen. So I was upset, but it wasn't like all my hopes. I think actually the, the thing that really rocked me the most was in 2014 game one of the Stanley cup finals. So oh, wow. Rangers okay. fan where it's like, you're up, what two nothing, uh, mm-hmm. and and then you let in some goals, and uh, Alain Vigneault basically was like, "Hey, instead of playing offense, what if you just play defense and don't worry about the offense?" And it's like, "Well, maybe don't do that because you could also <laughs> play offense too." And uh, blowing that game, and then blowing the next game plus the interference on Hank that didn't get called, and then it's two nothing, and then like I went to. I went to a restaurant with some friends to watch game one and I, it was in a story. And I just remember as I was heading back, like I feel like that was it. That was their chance. Uh, it's gone. Like I still believe, but at the same time, it just felt like a gut punch. And then the same thing happens the next game. And it's like, all right, um, I'm kind of numb to it. So let's try it. But then this year, I mean, this was, it was pretty yeah, it's like this this year. similar thing happened. Game three, you're up two nothing in the series and the game. And it's just, it falls apart and then they win four in a row. Uh, and they advance to the Stanley Cup finals. So um, I guess I'll, I'll go with that because, you know, there's not a lot of heartbreak for me as a Giants fan. I was numb to the whole Gettleman situation because <laughs> I just never thought that was ever going to work out uh, truly. And it didn't, but happier now. And uh, the Knicks just, you know, when I was younger, I think it was, it was, it hurt more. Not that it doesn't hurt now, but it's like there haven't been there's been one competitive series in the last nine years for me. 
So I was like, yeah, I got caught up in that when I was really sad. But at the same time, I was like, this is a great season. I wasn't expecting there are eight others around it that have just been crap. So at a certain point, you almost feel not grateful for a good Nick season, but you're like, yeah, this is, this is a welcome surprise. They should be good. Let's keep it going and let's build towards something else. I dig it. Yeah. 2013 is my second most painful Knicks loss. Um, I believed a lot in that team. That team was so, as like a mellow guy, his like finishing third in MVP, winning a scoring title, and just seeing like he is on his own the rest of the series. Any contested two he's taking is still like better than any wide open shot JR is taking right now. Um, Benji, were you a mellow guy? What were your thoughts on Carmelo Anthony when he was at the Knicks? It's a complicated question. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I. I mean, when he was playing great, obviously. I, who I mean, were there people that like weren't mellow guys when he was like leading them to fifty wins? Yes, there were people cro- with their arms crossed, being like not that good. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm. I respect the. Again, this, talk, this is a about, long two pointer. You know, talking about Brunson, like that. What, what a gifted scorer who, a craftsman. Like just in the mid post area, the the dribble combos, the spinning left, the spinning right. He just had every move. So like as a as a ball player, as someone who's watched a lot of ball, like I just respected the hell out of like how good that dude was. Mm-hmm. Even while recognizing that analytically and just decision making wise, it wasn't always ideal. Um, yeah, I had a tremendous amount of respect for him, and like he was really damn good and led them to a couple of really great seasons. So thank you. That's all I need to hear. Um, my, my worst losses are well documented. Jeremy reminds me every time I try to talk shit about his teams that I've never seen you know, my team fu- win a championship in my lifetime, <sighs> except the Rangers. And I wasn't even a Ranger fan back then. Yeah. That's sick. That's not great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, from Nick's losses for me, it's funny. Like I, like Jeremy was talking, there aren't because of the general incompetence and like it, it there haven't been that many momentous losses. Um, uh, honestly, game one against the Hawks ranks up there for me. Really? Wow. Yeah. And I don't know, like I was obviously more involved. Uh, I wasn't just like a passive fan anymore. I was like writing about the team and analyzing the team. Um, and I really thought that that series was winnable. Whereas like, I'm not sure I thought the, you know, the back in the mellow days, the series that they lost were winnable necessarily. I thought they were going to win. Like I thought they could have beaten Atlanta game one was in their, I mean, in their grasp, literally mm-hmm. RJ, RJ has the ball and like the game's over and try, uh, try being there. Yeah. Jeremy's yeah, in the building. Right. And like, mm-hmm. okay, so now we're talking, they win game one. They, you know, maybe they win game two, the same way that they actually won game two. So they're up two Oh in the series. I don't know. You know, I know I, the way it turned out, I think everyone's just like, it was a blowout, but like those first two games could have been two Oh Knicks and then you never know. Right. So, the, yeah, I'd say the one thing I know that it, like saying this in hindsight, like, oh, well, you're clearly saying that in hindsight. And I truly mean this that in the moment when that ball, when RJ didn't come up with it and it went right to Bogdanovich and he hit the three, I thought to myself, this is it. Like it was, was it reminds me of that game that season with Phoenix where you could feel it at the end of that third quarter start to unravel. And you're like that. They're just showing signs that it's not going to go their way. And when that bad luck occurred, I just felt like it's not, it's not our night. Something like it's not going to happen, and then of course Frank gets in there, cold. Trey cooks him. 
game. It just and that game would have been the Alec Burks game too, right? I mean, he yeah. was so great in that game, and he really was, should, should have won them a playoff game. Yeah. Um, that one hurt. That one really did hurt. Man, you guys are making me rethink if that like enters a top five for me now. I gotta be honest. You know, nah, as a Met fan, this should not be in the top. Five. No, 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 Knicks, Knicks top five, <laughs> oh. Knicks top five. There's, it's not there even the top moments. ten for all that's, of them. That's yeah. the unfortunate truth. Well, so for me, my first season watching the Knicks was '97. And just to clarify, when I say not a lot of moments, I mean, because of the fact that we don't have the benefit of yeah, no, watching like the 94 team, 93, 94, Oh, for example. if John's yeah. starts with the Charles Smith and ends yeah. with, with game one, game one might not make his top 10 for no. the Knicks, you know? Um, but my first season watching basketball religiously, where I was a Michael Jordan fan first, and then a Knicks fan second was 97. And like seeing the Knicks not only beat the Bulls twice, but one of them being the Bulls only loss at the United Center that season. I was like, this will be a fun conference finals where either way I'll win. And it's why I have such a weird reverence for David Stern while also of a, a, a hatred for the nine men, one mission game. Ewing takes one step off the bench. And I was so young. I didn't understand the concept of like you intended to get off the bench. Therefore you are suspended for a game and not like you actually got in the fight and should be suspended. So I was like, what do you mean? Patrick Ewing's not playing tonight. The Knicks have to beat the heat to play the bulls. And it's, it's probably what's fueled my frustration with oversight like that. Um, since then, um, that'll, that'll be my, that was like my first sports heartbreak. And then like I got to see Michael Jordan win again. I'm glad he, you know, kick the heat's teeth in, but I also wanted to see if the Knicks could really give it a shot in that series. But as history would have it, it never happened. There's a certain confidence that comes with being properly groomed. There's an aura, a vibe. You can just tell by the way someone carries themselves. We call this BGE, big groomed energy. And you know, the only way to get that BGE manscaped. Introducing the best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is already the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMSCHOOL. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. They designed this package to allow you to fully align your entire hygiene routine with elite products. Inside this Platinum Package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner, Ultra Premium Deodorant, Crop Preserver Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner, Anti-Chafing Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag to hold your goods while traveling. The Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer and Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to protect your delicate parts and holes. Both are waterproof so you can shave with less mess. In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the Ultra Premium Body Wash and Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner. You'll have your skin and hair feeling high 
hydrated and smelling fresh. Don't forget to apply their aluminum-free, ultra-premium deodorant for that cologne-quality scent on the go. But it's not just your pits that stink, your balls can stink too! Thankfully, their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve this problem for you. And once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Platinum Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. The Platinum Package 4.0 covers all bases from trimming to showering to leaving the gym smelling nice. This is the best bang for your buck. Don't hesitate. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMSCHOOL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use promo code FILMSCHOOL. Unlock your big groomed energy with Manscaped. And remember, when you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. Jeremy, your next question. So not to continue down the path of, hey, let's make a podcast where people only feel sad. <laughs> but um, you can go back in time and undo one Knicks player transaction. Uh, what this is, is it? This is a very Jeremy question. The transactional. It doesn't have to too. be like, oh, you know, like what salary cap? Oh, no. Just, but just transaction. Like, yeah. Trade, draft, signing. And I, the reason I'm saying player transaction is because you know, the thought would be like, oh, I would never hire Steve Mills or Phil Jackson or Isaiah Thomas or like whatever it might be. Uh, I want to keep it strictly on where you go wrong. I know that if John were on this, he would be, there'd be a lot of different things going through his head in terms of the ramifications, but mm. Benji, let's start with you. I have mine. Or if you don't have yours, we can go to Andrew. Go to Andrew first. And Eddie, Eddie Curry for two first round picks. Yeah. It's about that, 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 that was, and we we said this, I think, during the one of the pick drafts, Jeremy, but that was the moment for a lot of us watching in the mid-2000s where we realized how incompetent Isaiah was. Like, when they fired Scott Layden in his first, like, then Isaiah Thomas comes in, and we're like, oh, the guy from the Pacers, they're good. And then his first move is to trade for Marbury. We were like, I was pumped. Like, oh, wow, there is a path here. And then he trades... Eddie Curry trades two unprotected first round picks for Eddie Curry. And it's like, okay, that's a lot, but hopefully he's good. And then you never knew if the guy could stay in shape. And it's like, we've traded what for a guy. We don't know if he's going to stay in shape for his job as a professional athlete. Um, and just made those like mid 2000s teams so unwatchable, which is funny. Cause like I have a soft spot for Jamal Crawford, for Zach Randolph for Nate Robinson, a lot of those those guys that made names for themselves elsewhere, but the Eddie Curry for two firsts is one of the is the one where I realized this is what the the, the Knicks of the nineties are so far away, and this is what the Knicks are now. Yeah, and it's uh, definitely up there. Mm -hmm. Might be in the category for number one. Yeah, I feel like that's that might be the right answer. Um, if it's not, what would you say is the or yeah, if it is, which is the second? I, I, I'm gonna go. It's not even like I. It, this is the. It's not as egregious. It's hard. drafts are hard, um, and I think there were reasons to like both of these players. And I'm, I'm gonna kind of combine two here, but but the Knox Frank double mm. whammy of draft picks. Um, over guys like Shea and Donovan Mitchell and Miles Bridges and others. Um, I think 
right now it's the last five, six years have just been trying to get a star. And while, you know, Shea is kind of a borderline star, I'd say now, and maybe can be one Donovan Mitchell, I think is clearly a star. And now we're going to presumably give up a whole lot to get him. Um, I think if you hit those draft picks and you get, take the right guy, your whole franchise trajectory changes right off the bat. Um, and I, I think it's, again, it's, it's, it's different than trading two first round picks for Eddie Curry. Cause I think that's just egregiously bad. And these are like draft drafting is really hard. And, and mm-hmm. like, sometimes you're going to miss, especially when you get up to the eight, nine, seven, eight, nine range, it's, it's hard. Um, but those, those two picks had they been nailed would have, we would be looking at a very different trajectory right now than we are. The, the flip side of that, and granted, you can always get rid of them, but you would still have Steve Mills running the show. Ah. Because if he's doing a good job, then what happens? And now here's the other interesting factor. Let's say he does get one of those players. It might actually be a benefit in terms of getting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Oh, so they actually choose here because and then okay. like, what 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 are the odds that putting them in better standing puts them in a similar boat as not the same boat, obviously, because situations are so different, but like you're talking about having and I know Kevin Durant with his Achilles, that doesn't happen in necessarily in the world that we're talking. Like all these different you know, it's it's a it's like what if with Marvel, but like that type of thing where, okay, you're getting these stars who are here and you have Steve Mills pulling it off, but they're also very mercurial and Steve Mills doesn't really know what he's doing. He's very much just amassing talent and, and that's that. I would have taken my chances with Donovan Mitchell and Kevin Durant while, Ky- while Kyrie like look if you if Kyrie doesn't end up in yeah. if Kyrie ends up if he's living on like the Upper East Side or in Westchester instead of Brooklyn. Does he lose his mind? <laughs> like how much does just being with the weirdos in Brooklyn? No offense. Hold how on. is he, that not a wait, wait, wait. He, is, he is in Jersey. Let's let's just be clear about that's this. what his it primary, is. He primarily thing. is yeah. from the you know. Uh, I didn't the, honestly. The West didn't orange. Know that. West orange. Yeah, yeah the oranges right. in, in Jersey. I'm just, you know, once you're playing hypotheticals, you just gotta wonder. I know? agree. Benji, what if he doesn't I have agree. a pied a terre in Brooklyn? What who's, if it's, yeah. who's around him? <laughs> who's to say if it's in Tarrytown? <laughs> yeah, like as normal a place as Tarrytown, he's you know he's just hanging out in his house. He's not. Benji, I love you. Benji, I love you. This is my thought. Um, it's a fair point, Jeremy. I like, I like, I like going down that road. I don't know the answer to that. What's yours though? It's tough because there are a lot to pick. So I feel like, unlike, unlike playoff moments, there's a lot. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I mean, like just thinking through some of the ones that are recent, you know, like this isn't my pick, but the Joakim Noah signing. I was, that was on my it was, mind. It's was really bad. Mind. It's really bad. Don't get me wrong. To me, the worst thing than signing him was stretching the contract because you could have just had four years of it. And now you have seven years of it. And it didn't like it didn't really ruin the Knicks in those three years. You know, like they tried to go the 2019 route and they're fine. Um, like it didn't wind up mattering because they didn't sign the players they wanted. 2020, they didn't even spend all their money. They just hit the cap floor. Last offseason, they seemed to do fine. Like they over they overpaid in a sense for some of these players to essentially get to the ca- the salary cap and then 
pay Rose to go over the salary cap. So it's not like that really wrecked them. It just was a really, it's just an inconvenience they didn't need at all. Um, I won't be offended I, if you're reversing the metal trade, by the way. No, like, I know I, we just disagree. No, on honestly, part of one of my biggest what ifs is what happens if this, if the, um, if the CBA and, and the lockout occurs a season before or a season after mm. it does, because Mello's big thing was, Hey, I want to come to New York, but I'm worried about the lockout. I want to come to New York on my terms. Yeah. And if you don't have that, then I mean, it's that it's also, Hey, what if Mello did the same thing as LeBron Wade and Bosch and was there, you know, signed the same length of an extension. Yeah. And maybe he's like, Hey, I want to go to New York. How about we win in New York? It could have just been very different, but um, I'd say I'm torn between two. Number one is the Allen Houston contract, just because mm. like Man. he got a 30% max. The lead, the the salary cap that year was $45 million, <laughs> which is hilarious because LeBron James <laughs> today agreed year. to an extension <laughs> that's like more than that pretty mm-hmm. much. Yep. Um, but yep. so it was 45 million, and he signed a deal starting at like uh, I mean, it was like on average, it was six years, $100 million. I think it was like 12 point something or it was 42.5 million. It was uh, for the salary cap. It was 30%. I, I checked it. And that obviously set the Knicks back in such a way, but maybe it's because it's more like when I've been a really active fan, the Bargnani trade just crushed. That's this. one. Yeah. Because if you look at, you talk about like Frank and Knox and how those drafts didn't pan out. And you're absolutely right. But to think about how it's like, okay, Shump was 20, 2010, 2011, right? Shump 2010. was 20, 2011. 2011, yeah. 2011. Right. They already they had Mello. Right. And they didn't have a pick in 2012. And then 2013 was Tim Hardaway Jr. 2014 was no one from the Mello trade. 2015 was Porzingis, which was great until it wasn't. Uh, then 2016 was no one because uh, Bargnani. And yeah. then 2017, 2018 are are bad. And uh, 2019, you know, 2018, you just got Mitch, you know, with the second round. Like, I, I know I've said this before, but it it's still, I know how eager we are as fans to see a star in New York and it will happen. It might even happen within the next month. But like this administration, it has nothing to, like the failures of drafting from 2010 to twenty the second round of 2018, it's nothing to do with this front office. And this front office has to deal with the uh, graveyard of crap that has been in the past, which is why the Knicks are in the position they're in now. So again, the Mellow trade, I get it. It's taken me a a long time to really be comfortable with it. And I think as time has gone on, I've respected Mellow's game when he was in his prime more, but and that just the Bargnani trade to take away another top 10 pick where you could have gotten Barnani some was, uh, foundational was, piece to either build within the team or use in some sort of trade to move up or acquire a better player. Or I, I Jeremy, I just, it was unprotected. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's almost hard to, I feel that like might actually. We've grown in intelligence to like the league has grown in intelligence to the point where like nobody gives away unprotected picks anymore for anything. Well, then it still is happening. Like, like, stinks. Like, if you look at the Sixers, (laughs) they were amassing tons of unprotected first because teams just didn't prioritize it yet. And it took teams like the Knicks to get burned 
for other teams to realize we can't do this. This is terrible. That's a really good um, yeah, just Ugh. the way it ended, the idea of like, yeah, let's just add add him to stat and mellow. It was like, this is the opposite direction of where we need to go. Still and had know, Tyson Chandler. Yeah. yeah. And I know that people point to Lowry, like the Knicks should have had Lowry. And I'm like, to do what? <laughs> like what, what would they have done with Lowry that would have really amounted to much probably down the line? And, but it's the reason the Lowry trade didn't go through is because Dolan was so burned by the Bargnani trade. And he also felt it from the mellow deal with um, Masai. So, you know, like I feel like Bargnani was, is the one I would change and I just don't trade for him whatsoever. And I just think about how that might impact everything from there. Before we move on to Benji's question, how many, how how badly does this year have to go before the Julius Randall extension enters the conversation? Um, that's the thing. It's like if you think Julius is going to be as bad as he was last year, then they they took a gamble, which was, hey, let's turn Julius into a contract instead of having to worry about the gap in between when he's a free mm-hmm. agent and not, he's on a second all NBA team, all NBA team, second team. Like I understand why to do it. Right. But it's more, yeah. It's like if, again, if he's like, if he's so bad, like last year where it's not salvageable, where you're dealing with Obi, who's playing better than him and you can't get out of it. And you feel like the contract just can't be moved. I get it. The thing with the NBA is right now, there aren't a ton of, atrocious contracts, right? Like the Westbrook deal is bad, but it's expiring. It's expiring. So there's yeah. some teams that could always like the Pacers or the Spurs where they have enough cap space where they could deal with it. Like if you see Randall as a highly inefficient player who doesn't play well with others and you're trying to win games. And if you're not trying to win games, why are you taking on that deal unless you're being heavily incentivized? And so if you're the Knicks, you just stand pat and try to regroup his value I get it. Like, there's not a, a great fit, which is why we keep going back to Charlotte. I know it's a long-winded way of saying. Like, so you don't see it as being a bad deal or entering the conversation. No, I, th- I think as of this moment right now, it is one of the worst deals, which is com- which is a 180 compared to what we were talking about before. But mm-hmm. I think that at least, as I've said before, the the value he can give you, even still, I feel like it still makes it neutral because you can you can buy into it to some degree where it's like, yeah, it's a lot of money, for sure. But like, again. It, it is $23 million, which I'm not saying is chump change at all. It's more like, okay, there are teams that are over the cap where if they're not looking to spend in free agency, it's not really an opportunity cost. Like for a team that's gung ho on, on opening up the checkbook next year, Randall doesn't make much sense. But if you, if you're another team that like has not great salary and you see him as a better player to compare to what you've got, like that's where it feels a little bit more neutral. And I, I think, what I keep going back to is I don't see a team looking at him from this year and seeing him being a better than any other option that they currently have, which is where another team would have to, would have to view him differently. But that's then where, again, like the Hornets come into play where at what point are they comfortable being, you know, 10th, 11th, not having Julius Randall or having Julius Randall. Well, I mean, they let's, let's call it how it is they had a player that they thought were they were going to build around and they can no longer build around that player. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, like what have they done to really improve the team this year? And I, again, Nothing. that's where I think we differ in that. I don't see Julius Randall adding to that team as improving the team. I think it's just, let's see if he 
turns things around from it's a change of scenery play. But like, you know, sure. But isn't that sometimes the reason why you trade these players? Like the reason why Russ and Wall, for example, were traded for each other is because, hey, we need a change of scenery for these guys. Or like Russ, literally any time. Russ was traded three times. Mm-hmm. It's about to be traded a fourth time, right? In like every single oh, year of this um, contract. I don't think Russ is getting traded, but we'll see. No, but but um, the, he's, I mean, he still might. Like, again, the idea for me is why is LeBron signing this extension? Is there something on the horizon? Because he could have done this 13 days ago and uh, he didn't. Benji, does it enter for you? The Randall extension? I mean, yeah. No, I think it definitely does. It's gonna, I mean, it's gonna significantly hamstring them if if they can't get off it. And he and I think with Randall, you'll know in the first 10 games of this year. Like I think the he's, roadblock he's presenting for Obi is my he, biggest thing. That's too. the thing. But yeah. he's shown many things on both ends of the spectrum. One thing he hasn't really shown is like I like real resiliency. Like I think when things are going really well, you saw things go really, really well. And then when things started going really badly, it just kind of spiraled out of control. Right. And like you got a season an off season out of refresh, you know, the fans are going to get on him the first sign of any of the crap that he showed last year. Like no one's going to hesitate. So it's going to, it's going to spiral again with the booze and all that comes with it. And the altercations after every game with the refs and with other players and all like it, it'll happen. Um, unless he totally changes his approach and starts to shoot the ball a little bit better. Um, but otherwise, and the worst part is if that happens, then the value really keeps going down the tubes. <laughs> it yeah. becomes more of an albatross as we go. Yeah. Um, so they need him, if they don't get rid of him, they they need him to come out with a with a refreshed approach and start making some damn shots. Agreed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Benji, your go, and then we'll do a rapid fire of one each. All right. Damn, we kind of touched on two of my other ones. Um, you want to read what the other two are? <laughs> one of them was the greatest sliding door moment in the last decade for the Knicks. So that's kind of what we just, yeah. a little bit what we talked about. Yeah. Um, I mean, my greatest sliding door moment is the Knicks have a better pitch to LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. They don't botch that meeting completely. <laughs> okay. So, okay, so, so we would, it would listed some other answers. Like I didn't even think of that one. That's a great one. And I, yeah. I, I thought of um, the RJ draft. I mean, oh, if they win it instead. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd rather things. finish second to be perfectly honest. That's totally fair. Yeah. I think even Zion, if you, if the health was the same thing, I think that's a franchise changer just in terms of value. Mm-hmm. Um, you have that guy on your roster, even with all the question marks. Uh, we know that if he plays, he's a superstar. And if you have that guy on your roster, that changes everything. And they yeah. don't have that. We talked about it already. Like they haven't had it for a very long time. I've just, I've heard too many LeBron and Bot, LeBron and Wade sound bites that their first choice was New York in 2010. And they took a meeting. No, it's, it's a great one. And it was it's like, we can't go here. We, we can't bring this here. They are not prepared to, for what the big three are going to be, you know? Um, okay. So what are your other ones? Um, okay. Kind of similar to my number one. What is your ideal uh, season length and playoff structure. Jeremy. NBA. I do think 82 is a lot. I think, especially if the players are saying it's exhausting. There's something about 70. It's just a nice number, but at the same time, it's like, that's still, you know, like you need 72 to satisfy a lot of the TV contracts. I enjoyed 72 last you know, the previous season, I thought that was fine. It didn't necessarily need the 82 for the playoffs. I do love the play. And I think that's great. I would make the first round a best of five. Again, you'd go back to best of five. Wow. Yep. Yes. Just get some versatility in there. Like I love basketball. I will always watch basketball. You are eliminating what two potential games. And yet at the same time, the stakes become so much higher. And I feel like we could miss, like we're missing that. I, I would not go back to uh, the two, three, two format of the playoffs. I really like two, two, one, one, one. Uh, I think it's, it's great. So I keep that in there, but then for, you know, it'd be two, two, one, as opposed to one, 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 one. So yeah, that's, I'd say that's 70. I'll say 72 games playing best of five and then the rest of the rounds are best of seven. I, I dig the 72 because then it structurally works out that you play everybody in your conference three times, everybody in the other conference twice. So just mathematically, it makes more sense to do it that way in my mind. Um, I like the seven game first round series just because I like the first round and I love the NBA playoffs, but I don't, I'm not like attached to it to where if we go back to best of five, I mean, two of my favorite Knicks moments are game five wins over the heat. So I can't, I can't say the shortened series wouldn't add 
quicker tension or more tension um, to a series and more intrigue. Um, yeah. One counter to that. What? How many teams have come back from down three nothing to win the series in the NBA? Zero. Yeah. Oh, so like the series is is over at three. Yeah. So, okay. I mean the the formality sweeps like the Bucks and the the Bucks and the Bulls this year are those those first round series that are non competitive when the Heat were playing whoever as the eight seed those those I get what you're saying um, I think the league has gotten a little more parity over the the last few years and there's a little more talent that you're gonna get a a, a Minnesota Memphis like we got last year. Um, and far, far more often, like there was that one game where we had all game sixes or that one day where we had like four game sixes and it was like super competitive and super fun. That is what I'm going for with, but I'm not, again, I'm not attached to a best of seven in the first round. Um, I'll echo what Jeremy said. I'm 72 games and bring best of fives back to the first round. I'm with you on the playoffs. Uh, five game series, first round. Love that. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I would love if we could do uh, somewhere a combined score over two or three games. Oh, I don't know where. I don't know where you do it. They do it in Champions League over a two game stretch. Um, what about I find a midseason it, tournament? Like, because I think the, the, we talked about the blowout issue earlier. You get rid of that, at least in the first game. Um, and you teams don't throw it in the towel anymore. So you get competitive basketball for more time, which to me is always the goal. Um, and I, I feel like that would be great. I don't know where you do it. It can't just put that in the playoffs. So I don't know. <laughs> just a dream. I don't know where we do it. Um, midseason tournament would be interesting. Um, court, half court shots. Yeah. Fix this too. <laughs> that brilliant idea. Andrew proposed. Um, and then games got high. I want to be more aggressive. I feel like the, the the issues plaguing the league right now in terms of resting players, um, the regular season product, I don't think 72 accomplishes or 70 accomplishes getting rid of that. I feel like you got to shorten it more aggressively between 40, 40 and 50 games. Wow. Um, I just feel like with the money the players are now making, you really have to figure out a way to incentivize regular season competition. Mm-hmm. Like that should be a real focus. And I, I don't know how you do it unless you really cut the amount of games significantly. So that would be, that would be my thought there. Well, this, know. this is where the next CBA is going to be a dog fight. Cause they're going to, the owners are going to fight for like, in you have to play a certain amount of games in order to qualify for certain tiers of your contract. Um, and I don't know how the players union is going to respond to this, how they're going to, so yes come- no. I mean, that's interesting. Cause like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like it depends on the owner. I mean, some owners really just want to win. And if winning, if, if, if like, if you're a Steve Ballmer, mm-hmm. like, you really want to rest Kawhi 20 games a season. You don't want him playing 82 games. Right. But there's other, there's more owners that are frustrated. You're probably with right. The, there are more owners that are yeah. frustrated with the, with the, with the resting. That's Mike uh, Vorkanoff made a really good point when uh, Tommy Beer and KD were going back and forth about yeah. lockout, which is that usually when money is the problem, that's when the lockout occurs. Mm. This is the type of thing where money is good for both sides. So unless there's a fight over that, it can probably be rectified. And the thing with 
with stars wanting out as well, it's stars. If you get like a non-star says, I'm unhappy here. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> cool, dude. All right. We'll see you in the morning. Like it, it's not nearly as problematic. And so it's like this, it's almost like this oligarchy of stars or of, of players who get to dictate how all these things happen. It's like how talking about the cap spike that could be happening in 2025. Like, Oh, you know, you need to smooth it. You can't have what happened in 2016. And then you look back at 2016. It's like, who are the stars who got paid? It was Kevin Durant. I think LeBron signed a one and one. Mm-hmm. Like, that is nowhere near what we could be seeing very soon with some of the other star talent that's on the board. So like, if they're the ones who are like, yeah, we don't want to smooth it. The stars are the one who are getting most of the money and they're going to be a bunch of other teams that don't extend their stars. So that's more money for other players because those teams have cap space. Like it bottom line being, it's just, it's ruled by stars. I think they'll do what's best for the stars, but the money's not seemingly an issue. I'm more just curious to see how it goes is more my point. Um, I don't, I don't think anybody sees what's happening in Brooklyn right now, especially if you're like a, an opposing owner and you're like, you're not wary that this could happen to me too. You know, that you, you do literally everything for a star to placate them, to make them feel like they're part of the structure. And the moment you push back, it's a nuclear button. And that I think is what they're going to try to avoid more than anything else. 